definitely human. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's 20 to 6 on a toasty Monday morning in October. The air outside is thick with radiation, the earth is barren, and the water is populated by monsters. Basically, it's just another average day in the wasteland. My advice is to hole up in whatever shelter you call home and listen to the soothing sounds of the radio. My name is Molly. My name is Alexis. And I'm Nina. And you're listening to The Outpost, the world's number one and only remaining radio station. We're the buffer zone between you and the monotony of day-to-day survival. Our voices are 100% guaranteed to improve any situation you're in. And there's literally no way you can dispute that claim. Now, of course, getting around in the new world can be a bit of a headache. From Sector 15 to the Dead Mountains to that huge crack in the Earth that seems to split the very planet in two, there are plenty of booby traps and dead ends that you're going to want to know about. So, Alexis, how is the traffic looking out there today? Well, nomadic wastelanders are going to want to avoid post-urban areas for a few months, as these are the places most plague victims seem to congregate. Your best bet is to traverse the wasteland close to the coast. Just be sure to wear masks to protect yourself from the sea breeze and carry spears to ward off hungry crustaceans. Coming up on today's show, we've got an interview with reporter Tom Swarbrick, a short fable about a mouse, a bird and a sausage, and lots of nice music. Plus travel, fashion, health, and of course, our very own Agony Ant. But first, today's topic, Reflections. Thank you. My name is Arthur Poxleitner, and I'm the father of the groom, Benjamin. You probably know me from Poxleitner Industries. I founded that company in a small laboratory 40 years ago. (coughs) 
Ben took that company into the world, applying my scientific research to the household and the high street shops, turning a small business into a multinational corporation. And so, now, my son has taken over Poxleitner Industries. Some of you think I'm upset by this. I've heard the rumours. <laughs> but I'm not bitter about Ben's success. How could I be? What could make a father more proud than seeing his son take over the family company, grab it from his father's hands, and mould it into something bright and booming and vibrant. Of course, I'm not bitter. <laughs> I remember when I was Ben's age, 30 years ago, and the world for the taking. I remember the drive, the will to triumph, all that ambition, but nothing came of it. And now Ben has done what I could not. What did he have that I didn't? Who knows? Maybe I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Certainly my hair was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You wouldn't believe it to look at me, but I, I had a head of luscious flowing hair. Ben got his hairstyle from old photos of me. Didn't you, Ben? <laughs> look, he's turning red. Of course, it's all the rage now. Yes, of course it is. <laughs> Tall at the sides and back in the middle. In my time, it was, I was mocked for it loudly and le at length. I guess I was always too new-fashioned, too ahead of my time. Lucky you, Ben. You get to enjoy the fruits of my innovation now that the world has caught up and I've lost my hair. Good for you. My heart held, felt love goes out to his beautiful wife. No, don't get up. I'm still talking. When I first met him, I was startled by how much he looked like my old love, Isabella. Yeah, yes, Isabella. A captivating woman who, who never seemed to notice me, and I. Now I see the source of the resemblance. Don't look away, Isabella. I'm complimenting your daughter. I'm glad everything worked out so well for you in the end. You and your daughter and Ben. I'm very glad indeed. And not at all bitter. You know why I'm not bitter? That you've done all the things that I should have done. Because in a way. You and I are one. Oh, yes, I'm sure you've noticed how much you look like those old photos of me. There's something familiar in my eyes, isn't there? You're looking into your future, Benjamin. Did you really believe your mother died in the ale brewing accident? <laughs> no. You're a clone, my boy. Sit down. I'm talking. What have you got that I don't? Not a damn thing. Every molecule of you is me. Your success.
successes are my successes, not literally, of course. Literally speaking, your successes are my failures, but at least I'm not bitter. The last thing I am is bitter, so a toast. A toast to the marriage of the two lucky people who were always around at the right time. There are only two ways a marriage can end, in divorce or in death. As a committed romantic, I'll be praying hard for the latter. Cheers! You're listening to The Outpost, the only broadcast that's statistically proven not to cause seizures. We are Molly, Alexis and Nina, your charmingly coy, humbly handsome and sheepishly sexy radio hosts. So, Nina, I see you've brought something in for today's show and tell. Indeed I have, Molly. This... a piano. Oh, great. What a beautiful relic from the glory days of civilization. Well, that's the thing, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a relic, Molly. There's really no reason why we couldn't see a revival of this magical instrument. Hmm. Um, perhaps a tad unwieldy for the average wastelander. Uh, no, I think the piano is yet another reminder that we... All of us have lost something truly precious and can never get it back. Now, for my generation, that is a particularly bitter pill to swallow, as we remember just how great things were, especially back in the 23rd century. But for our younger listeners, well, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? You sweet, simple savages. Alexis, what have you brought in for show and tell? Well, I brought in this. And that is... This is a model of the city where I was born back in the late 20th century. The model is trapped in a big glass bulb, but watch. If I shake it... It's snowing! Isn't that amazing? Truly, this is a treasured artifact. You couldn't acquire something like this just anywhere. Huh. Might I have a look? Sure. Here you go. Ta. It's probably the only family heirloom I have left. When you live as long as we do, it's easy to forget who you were a hundred or two hundred years ago, you know? My childhood is such a distant remembrance, so blurry, so out of focus. But this, this tiny forgotten world, this winter wonderland, it keeps me tethered to that childhood innocence. It lets me hold on to that splinter of memory. Huh. I've told you before, Alexis, sentimentality will not be tolerated in the outpost. We have an obligation to our listeners to produce light-hearted entertainment and fair and unbiased news. Speaking of which, now it's time for some entication, which is education and entertainment mixed together on a molecular level, hybridised, kind of like those pig people in the South. But instead of focusing on the locating and devouring of flesh, we're going to play this old classroom cassette about moral censorship. Before the 1930s, there was virtually no censorship of Hollywood films, 
Films made in the Roaring Twenties routinely featured sexual promiscuity, profanity, drugs, violence and infidelity, sometimes, crucially, without any comeuppance for the characters. This all changed in the early 1930s when the Hayes Code was introduced. This was a list of do's and don'ts, mainly don'ts, designed to rein in filmmakers and produce films that promoted conventional virtue. The Code, introduced in 1930 but not properly enforced until 1934, was created by film studios as a response to threats that the government would start censoring films. It went on to govern the content of Hollywood films for the best part of 40 years and was in place while some of the finest filmmakers of the time, such as Orson Welles, Alfred Hitchcock and Howard Hawks, produced some of their best work. Directors and studios would try to push the code from time to time, but it remained largely unchallenged for years. It wasn't until after World War II that it was seriously weakened as the cultural changes of the time began to trump the code's dogmatism. In 1952, it suffered a huge blow when a censorship case against the European film The Miracle by Roberto Rossellini saw the US Supreme Court finally classify films as an artistic medium, thereby protecting its content under the constitutional First Amendment for free speech. The Cultural Revolution of the late 50s and early 60s also started to make the code seem more and more unsuitable for the times. Then, in 1966, its death sentence was signed by MGM when the studio ignored the Hayes Board's refusal to approve the release of the film Blow Up. MGM released it anyway. The film was a hit, and the studio suffered no lasting damage. Hayes' days were numbered. It was finally snuffed out by the Pillow of Progress in 1968, and the rating system, that is still used today, was introduced. The Hayes Code had been introduced with ostensibly noble aims to encourage a virtuous life. But film, as an art form, does not exist to promote a certain way of life, it exists to explore it in all its greatness and all its foulness. To what extent Hayes might have damaged Hollywood is impossible to say. However, the Code undoubtedly stopped filmmakers exploring some of the most crucial themes of the time, including poverty, sexual inequality and racial segregation. And for that, film as an art form suffered. hunters and foragers. The frontier was everywhere. We were bound only by the earth and the ocean and the sky. The open road still softly calls. How far will our nomadic species have wandered by the end of the next century and the next millennium? Earth, our seemingly infinite world, the birthplace of our species, the home of everyone and everything we know, is nothing more than a tiny bubble suspended in the darkness of space. For small creatures such as we, the vastness is bearable only through love and sex. And Squealer's Quattro Bacon Cheeseburger Supreme with donut buns and pig nuggets, now only one food stamp. Here at Squealer's, we like to keep our deals as large and as loud as our food. That's why we're always updating our special offers and vouchers. This week, you get a free tube of gravy with every kid's mega meal. Plus, we're giving out free, yes, free buckets of pink sludge. What is it? We don't know, but it's yummy and it's everywhere. Clogging up all our machines, oozing out of the walls. All of it must go. By the way, sex. Did I mention that before? Some people say that fast food is bad for you, but don't listen to them, baby. Sex can't be bad for you. It's perfectly natural. Wait, did I say sex? I meant fast food. Whew, I guess I got those two things mixed up because they're so similar. 
wheelers. There's probably a restaurant at the end of your road. Where are you? Why aren't you here? Come and see us. Come and eat our sex. Squealers, we're addictive. You're listening to The Outpost, the last known sanctuary of the pre-apocalypse generation. Is it a sanctuary, Alexis? Or is it... a tomb? A cold, grey crypt haunted by the lonely spectres of another world and another time who cling on to this mortal realm for fear of moving on to the next? Jeez, Nina, what the hell? I'm just saying, you know, I'm just saying. What are you just saying? That we should negotiate some kind of suicide pact? No, I'm just saying that maybe it's time to, you know... What? You know, leave the outpost... We've been locked up here for far too long. Maybe it's time to get out, you know? Into the real world. Acknowledge that it's changed and move on. Adapt. Whoa. Yeah. You've gone mad. No! You are saying things that a mad person would say. You know, if Molly were here, she'd punch you. She'd punch you in the face. I know. Look, it was just an idea. But how much longer can we really sustain this life, man? Sooner or later, we're going to have to do something. We're going to have to live in some way. Otherwise, we're going to... Turn into stone or something. All right, stop talking for a while. Now, listeners, do you yearn for a tough but fair old woman to listen to your boring problems and dispense maternal wisdom? Well, you're in luck. The outpost's very own agony aunt, Yaga the Wise, is on the line, ready to tell you what you need to hear. Yaga, you hideous old crone, thanks for joining us today. You will drown in your own blood, my child. I have seen it. (laughs) Great stuff. So let's jump right into it, shall we? Billy writes in to say, Dear Yaga, I'm tired of my tribe's people making fun of me. They say I shouldn't be so sensitive, but I can't help how I feel, can I? There shall come a time soon when the earth beneath your tribe quakes and breaks apart and sinks into the bubbling sea. And they, who were once quick to mock you, shall wail and pull at their hair as they fall into the gnashing jaws of rock and icy waters. There shall be darkness and blood and a sea of bones, but you shall live on, alone. And you shall long for the gentle cruelty of your people, but only the silence will mock you then. Here's one from Drew. Dear Yaga, I've been getting mixed messages from someone I've been casually seeing. How do I know if it's the real deal or a waste of time? Take them by the hand and gaze into their eyes. Maintain contact. Can you see your future in their eyes? If you can, they are a warlock. Destroy them with fire. Jamie says, Dear Yaga, I want to get out more, but I can't convince my partner to leave the cave. I want to go to gatherings and sing songs around the fire, but they won't budge. What should I do? Your partner is dead. Dear Yaga, 
I'm obsessed with solving problems, which in itself is a problem. I've been seeing someone else's partner for about a year now, and it's been great. But unfortunately, I couldn't resist giving them both advice on how to fix their relationship. And now they're happily back together again. What do I do? And that one's from Jessie. Your current predicament is of little importance, Jessie. You are the chosen one. It has been prophesied. You must leave your settlement and begin your quest. Go first to the Dead Mountains. There you will meet your spirit animal. And finally, this is from Robin. Dear Yaga, I'm currently in my first serious relationship with another human being, and I am completely addicted to them. Time spent away from them is torture, and I constantly worry that they don't feel as strongly about me as I do about them. What is wrong with me? Please help! There is nothing wrong with you, child. It's perfectly natural to be infatuated at this early stage of the relationship. The key is communication. Do they feel the same way? Test the boundaries of the relationship. Present yourself to them naked, save for the skin and bones of their previous lovers, which you have draped around yourself like a ceremonial gown. If they reject your love, cut out their heart and consume it. You will never be lonely again. Thanks, Yaga. Coming up in a bit, we'll be chatting to Bob Rantipole about health and fitness. But first, some lovely music. listening to The Outpost, a platform for sounds and silence. My name is Molly, her name is Alexis, and she's Nina. Hello! Hello! 
and that irritating beeping sound was our security alarm, which has been triggered by the arrival of pirates. For those of you who are new to the show, the outpost is a large pre-apocalypse structure of metal and stone, built near the edge of a canyon and surrounded by the rubble of an ancient motorway bridge. It's fairly conspicuous, and we often get visitors. Sometimes they're friendly, but... Usually they want to rob and or murder us. Let's have a look through the old telescope and see what we can see. Ah, it's pirates, all right. I mean, of course it is. Looks like a small crew. Two ox-drawn caravans, primitive weapons, no real armour. Most of them are scantily clad. Really? Can I see? No, Alexis. Ah, this is worrying. They've got a slavering pack of phantom cats. These guys mean business. Hmm... Now what are they doing? Some kind of ritual, presumably to prepare themselves for battle. They appear to be rubbing oil onto their chests and muscles. Maybe we should go out and meet them. No, Alexis. Well, there you have it, listeners. Yet another attempt to kill your favourite radio hosts. We'll be keeping you updated with the pirate situation throughout the rest of the show, as they are doubtlessly picked off one by one by our extensive network of booby traps. But now, let's talk to Bob Rantipole, our health and fitness expert. Today, Bob is in Oxford, atop an immense mountain of junk, digging around for useful trinkets and gadgets like some kind of apocalyptic womble. Hi, Bob. How's life in the wasteland? It's awful, Molly, as you well know. Now, if for some perverse reason you want to continue clinging to this life, you're going to need to be fit and healthy. But looking after your health is more than just lifting weights and avoiding direct sunlight. You have to change the way you think. You might assume there's safety in numbers, but what happens when you're separated from your tribe? Do you have the skills necessary to survive on your own? Today, I'm traversing the peaks and valleys of the great landfill of Oxford, searching for valuable, life-saving materials. There are many other individual scavengers like myself here, I can see them, off in the distance, shadows in the mist. Most know to avoid contact, but I am equipped with a bow and an axe, should there be an encounter. A good tip for landfill scavenging is to fill your mask with scented materials like cloves, myrrh, rose petals and potpourri. You may occasionally find cans of deodorant, but these usually smell worse than the landfill. What on earth is that sound? Ah, hold on. Just your average run-of-the-mill common or garden arthropod. A fun fact. Prior to the big headache, the largest known living arthropod was a Japanese spider crab. Really? That small? I know, right? Any of the health tips? Did you know a crayon will burn for half an hour? Will it? Ah, here we are. A bunch of keys. You can sharpen these into arrowheads. You can sharpen most things into arrowheads, and you should. Okay. Ah, it would seem some overconfident scavengers are attempting to ambush me, perhaps hoping to acquire my extensive collection of Blackalicious cassette tapes. Join me again next time when I'll be discussing the importance of parkour! Thanks, Bob. And now for a short fable from our library of old world content. This month, a classic Grimm Brothers fairy tale performed by Pippa Caddick. This is The Mouse, the Bird and the Sausage. The Mouse, the Bird and the Sausage Once upon a time, a mouse, a bird and a sausage 
formed a partnership. They lived together in an underground shelter and for a long time they enjoyed peace and prosperity, acquiring many possessions. The bird's task was to fly into the city every day to fetch wood. The mouse carried water, made the fire and set the table. The sausage did the cooking. But one day, as Bird was making his way through the labyrinth of rubble, broken glass and twisted metal that was the city, he chanced to meet a black cat. Well, what are the odds of seeing a friendly face in the wasteland? Naturally, the bird and the cat took a seat, shared a cigarette and were soon deep in conversation. It must be difficult, said Bird, somewhat smugly, living out here all alone. Fending for yourself. I have others to rely upon. And he proceeded to tell the cat all about his wonderful partnership with Mouse and Sausage. You see, said Bird, after Mouse has made the fire and carried the water, he can sit in the parlour and rest until it's time for him to set the table. Sausage, meanwhile, has only to stay by the pot watching the food cook. When mealtime approaches, he slithers through the porridge or the vegetables, and thus everything is greased and salted and ready to eat. As for me, I bring the firewood. Every evening we eat our meal and then sleep soundly until the next morning. Well, said Cat, taking a long drag on his cigarette, that's all very well and good if you like that sort of thing. But it seems to me that you do all the hard work out here, collecting firewood, while the other two enjoy themselves at home. Bird was shocked, and the next day, motivated by the cat's observations, he refused to go to the city. Why ever not? asked Mouse. I've been your servant long enough, Bird replied, putting his feet on the table. We should all swap roles, try something different for a change. Then we'll see who does all the work around here. Mouse and Sausage argued against this, but Bird insisted that they give it a try, and in the end they yielded. Sausage was to go into the city to fetch the wood. Mouse became the cook, and Bird was to carry water. Sausage trudged off towards the city as Bird made the fire and Mouse put on the pot. All seemed well at first, but when Sausage did not return, the other two feared for his life. And so Bird flew off to see if he could find him. A short distance away, he came upon a dog who was lying on his back and rubbing his big belly thoughtfully. Excuse me, said Bird. Have you seen the sausage around these parts? Oh, yes, replied Dog. I met someone matching that description not five minutes ago. He was carrying forged letters, a capital offence, as I'm sure you're aware. Forged letters, Bird echoed in astonishment. But that cannot be. I'm afraid it can indeed be, lamented Dog. Under the circumstances, I was forced to eat him. I'm sure you understand. Nothing I could do to prevent it. And he patted his belly sadly and added, Alas. Filled with sorrow, Bird carried the wood home himself and told Mouse what he had just heard and seen. They were very sad, but they were determined to stay together and make the best of it. Bird set the table while Mouse prepared the food. He jumped into the pot, as Sausage had always done, in order to slither and weave in and about the vegetables and grease them. 
but before he reached the middle, his hair and skin caught fire. He died screaming. Oh, what have I done? cried Bird, between mouthfuls of vegetable and mouse stew. Why, oh why did I try to change my life? I should have just carried on doing what I was good at, instead of having dreams and ambitions of my own. In a fit of despair, he threw the wood at the wall. But because of his carelessness, the scattered wood caught fire, and the entire house was soon aflame. The bird rushed to fetch water, but the bucket fell into the well, carrying him with it, and he drowned. The End You're listening to The Outpost with Nina, Alexis and Molly, your embarrassingly brilliant companions on the amazing adventure that is life in the new world. And what a world it is, brought to its knees by the apocalyptic events of 2300, and yet now, in 2314, it's full of endless possibilities for the future. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like somebody's been sniffing glue again. Well, no, I'm serious. The world didn't end, did it? It's just different now, and it could be even better if we just give it a chance. All right, shut up now, Nina. Time for a quick status update on the pirates. Five are now deceased, two by tripwire shotgun, one by landmine, one by spike pit, well, he really should have known better, and one by electrocution. Classic. The rest of the pirates have made it through to the next round. Good for them. Such a waste. I was hoping we'd get to use the trebuchet. There's still time, Alexis. Now, unless you have a fully stocked, self-sustaining fortress like the outpost, you will probably find yourself migrating around the wasteland to avoid marauders, disease, predators and severe weather. Yes, travel is a necessary evil. Thankfully, the outpost has got you covered with our very own travel guide, Piers Hunt. Piers, where are you this month? Good morning, Molly. Uh, Today, I'm in... Hi, Piers. Uh, yes. Hi, Alexis. It's good to hear your voice again, Piers. Thank you. You have such a nice voice. Right. Uh, So today, I'm standing in the middle of a mercenary campsite. This is the temporary home of the People Tribe, a widely feared group of barbaric killers. The tribe have been here for a few months now, and hundreds of market stalls have sprung up all around them. The area has all the hustle and bustle of a thriving community. All conceivable goods and services are available for barter. There's food from all over the wasteland, gadgets, weapons... Alcohol, medical supplies, sex, libraries, theatres, all here, all portable. This is what we call a nomadic market. A group of traders who travel the wasteland looking for large camps to latch onto. Like crocodile birds, these traders have formed a strange kind of symbiotic relationship with the brutish mercenaries. Of course, crocodile birds never really cleaned crocodile teeth. That was nonsense. Similarly, there's no guarantee here that the mercenaries won't just pillage the market stalls and kill anyone who looks at them funny. Wow, a thriving community, you say? It sounds like some kind of new world civilization has developed in the wake of the big headache. The wasteland is more cultured than we thought, right, Molly? This segment of the show is about travel, Nina, not ill-informed propaganda. It's incredible to think that the inhabitants of this immense campsite could just pack up and leave at any time, because this place really feels like a city. There's all the sounds, smells and colours you'd expect from a settlement, and I've had to push my way through large crowds many times. Ah, here comes a mercenary. Every so often you see them, huge and armoured, stomping through the market like a shark in a fish shop. Ah, excuse me. Uh, Hello there. What do you want? 
Hi, I'm Piers Hunt from the Outpost Radio Show. Could you tell our listeners how you feel about this nomadic market that sprung up around your camp? It's bloody annoying. Care to elaborate? All of these traders keep tricking me into bartering stuff. I've lost all my favourite weapons, all my tools and my food supplies. And instead, I've got a fruit bowl, a typewriter, a little plastic man, ten packs of incense, a can of shaving foam and a Persian carpet. Doing my head in. I want to smash these traders to pieces, but my boss says we need them all here as camouflage. Fascinating stuff. Thanks for your time. Whatever. Ah, and here's a strange-looking group: a grubby-looking young woman, a girl, a wolf, a raggedy musician, and some kind of walking, talking machine. They're clearly trying to blend in and not draw attention to themselves. Let's spy on them for a bit. These mercenaries slaughtered my tribe. It's taken me months to find this place, and now that I'm here, I'm finally gonna get my revenge. But how? This place is swarming with traders. There are hundreds of people here. You can't kill them all. Can't I? No. No. I suppose you're right. Do you really have to kill all these mercenaries? Can't we just go shopping instead? I... You're right. I don't need to kill all the mercenaries. Really? Well, that's a relief. Just one. Oh. The winged man. The winged man? He's not important, is he? His name is Condottieri. He is the leader of the People Tribe. Ah. He is very popular. The traders sell masks off his face and replicas of his weapons and his clothing has inspired a lot of the fashion here. Which is understandable, he looks great. So, I just have to kill most famous person in settlement. How hard could it be? The people tribe are organized and disciplined. They will have several tents strategically placed throughout the nomad market. Some of these tents will be decoys filled with booby traps. Damn it! We require a base of operations where we can devise a suitable plan. I saw tents are higher over there. They looked comfortable, and they even had servants that would spend the night with you. Nala, uh, th- uh, those those aren't servants. They're, um... Those tents are too conspicuous. Wait, I might have an idea. Follow me. Where are you going? This way, my lady. Follow old John the Trustworthy. Ah, yeah, here we are. Look, there. Magic. I am Martin the Empyrean, mystic, astrologer, and amateur theater producer. And I am blessed with extraordinary cosmic powers. For me, the future is an open book. I have seen into the swirling, endless vortex of time, and all of its secrets are known to me. Come forth, and I shall reveal to you your fate. I also sell tinned alphabeti spaghetti. Who is this charlatan? And how is he relevant? That is Mystic Martin, 
a great and powerful wizard. Okay. He travels with the Nomad Market. Gideon and I have met him before. Uh, we, we would often visit settlements like this, performing songs and uh, acquiring new supplies. I still don't understand what this wizard has got to do with us. Leave this to me. What? Hey, what are you doing? Greetings, Mystic Martin. My name is John the Trustworthy, and this is my merry band of actors. What? Ah, actors, perfect. Truly, you are a gift from the gods. We are. It just so happens I am putting on a show. It's called I Am Dog, an epic tragedy about the end of the world. And I am in dire need of actors. Well, this is Katie, a good strong lead if ever there was one. Hmm, yes, yes. And this is Adam, the perfect comedy sidekick. Humor is an irrational and paradoxical quirk of the human species. <laughs> cracks me up every time. And uh, and here's Nala. Um, she she could play a tree or something. Hey. Oh, and Mr. Cuddles. Kids love him. Yes, perfect, perfect. You must stay here with me and rehearse every day. I want to start production of I Am Dog immediately. You know, a good way to get publicity would be to put on a special show for that mercenary condottieri. He's very uh, popular with people around here. My dear lady, you are a genius. If condottieri endorsed the show, everyone would want to see it. There is a large marquee in the center of the settlement where the mercenaries are entertained while they feast and poison themselves with alcohol. I had considered it a tad too raucous for my delicate productions, but I Am Dog shall be an epic spectacle. There shall be fireworks and smoke machines and sparklers. There shall be bright colors and loud noises. I think it is the perfect story for the marquee. And perhaps we can break through the thick hide of those brutish mercenaries and touch their hearts. Touch their hearts. Yeah, I like the sound of that.
was music. This is the outpost. The wastelands... Molly. This better be important. Do you think Piers likes me? Why would he? Because, um, why... Why wouldn't he? I know, right? Why wouldn't he? I'm a perfectly reasonable human specimen. Don't oversell yourself. I mean, I'm hot, right? Right. Yeah. I'm hot. And you host a radio show. Yeah, I do. I'm so cool. You just said you were hot. I'm hot and cool at the same time. Warm. Coming up now, an old interview from our vault of old interviews. This is a lovely chat with award-winning journalist and radio news reporter, Tom Swarbrick. Tom Swarbrick is a journalist. He is currently the senior reporter at LBC. He has won awards for National Radio Journalist of the Year and New York International Awards reporter. His 2014 documentary for LBC, Slavery on Our Streets, about people trafficking in London, won United Nations Department of Public Information Award for Best News Documentary. Tom joins me today to talk about the narrative and story element of news reporting. Tom, thanks for joining me today. Now tell me, what is the basic structure for reporting and framing a news story? Um, A lot of stories have a very obvious start, middle, end, which is the best way to always frame what you're doing because... The job particularly of a reporter is to tell the story as accurately and in as much detail as possible. Uh, And detail can be delivered in any way you like, really, either through the audio or particularly important is through, obviously, the words that you use and the language that you use to describe it. And the easiest thing to do is just to say start, middle, end to any story. Where that gets more complicated, I think, is in breaking news stories where it's always... You know, it's a bit up in the air as to as to what happens. If you think of um, when MH17 was shot down, we were breaking that on air with no real clear idea of what the start, middle and end of that story was. Clearly it wasn't going to end. It was very much in its early phases. So you have to kind of work out as you're doing it where this story is going. And that comes through talking to people. It comes through Twitter. and It comes through um, uh, PA and news feeds. Do you view the news as stories with characters and themes or just a series of facts? No, I th- um, I try not to view it as just a series of facts because I think that's very boring to deliver to an audience. Um, the point of being a reporter or a storyteller is that you tell something in a unique, interesting, engaging, informative uh, way. Um, and I think a lot of the time... Uh, particularly on uh, on seri- very sort of hard news stories, although that's not a term I particularly like, but hard news stories, you have to, you can't be too detailed with it, or you, rather you can't be too creative with it. You need the detail of, you know, body was found here, this is all very grim, here's what's happening now, here's what is what potentially could happen later. So you have to be fairly set with that. But I think when you're telling somebody's personal story, if it's a case study of... Uh, a crime or a case study of whatever, I think the job actually is to make that as as engaging as possible. And we do talk about things as stories, um, but I think the more that you come across people who are at the centre of these stories, the more you realise actually this is their life and this is what they're going through and it deserves the attention uh, of it being more than just here's a series of facts. Calling it news when the events are already old shows the pitiful state of human logic. Uh, well, um... How is news delivery and reporting changing? I think Jon Snow said it very accurately when he said um, Twitter is to the journalist now what pen and paper used to be. I mean, it is that revolutionary. I think if you're not on Twitter or you don't understand how it works, you're way behind 
Um, if you're if you're trying to report on stuff, you're trying to be a journalist. I think Twitter is absolutely vital, uh, and I therefore think the way in which people are engaging with news is changing a lot. You look at something like Vice News, which is really uh, you know people on the ground, very gritty stuff. It's done very quickly. Its content is delivered in a way in which is quick, so that people scrolling through their timeline, it jumps out of them. They can play ten seconds of it, and and they're hooked in. Uh, you look at the uh, the the big sort of news channels, um, Channel 4, ITV, they're setting up YouTube pages that, you know, a lot of their content uh, is based around their big show at 7 or 10 o'clock, but actually they're working through the day. It's not just, right, you sit down and watch the news, you engage with it through the day. And I think the challenge is always going to be, how do you keep people who are just looking for a quick hit on something all the time, engaging with something which might be a bit longer and need a bit more explaining? As a journalist... Do you have a journal where you write your precious thoughts? I do. I will read it to you. October 6. A postman came to my house so I interviewed him for seven hours. He complained about low blood sugar and left. Good interview. October 7. I saw a man while I was stealing fuel this morning. I interviewed him for nine hours. He fainted and the interview ended. Good interview. October 8. I interviewed the old woman next door for 30 minutes until she fell asleep bad interview. I returned and interviewed her for another 14 hours. She is now in hospital. Good interview. October 9. Today I am interviewing fellow journalist Tom Swarbrick. What makes a good reporter? Pun aptitude? The use of language is is crucial and I try as much as possible to just try something a little different. Now it doesn't mean it has to be jump up and down, you know, Chuckle Brothers the whole time because there are situations that don't call for that. But but there are moments where you can, you know, you. I hate the term um, violent clashes. I think that's such a such a meaningless, boring phrase to use. But it's heard all the time, and it's such a kind of go-to phrase. Um, I think there are there are better, more ambitious, more descriptive ways of of saying that. And I think that's part of um, part of what I hear on on stations. I think that's really good. Um, creativity the use of radio if you're radio reporting how what sounds are you going to use to illustrate this story um how can you lift it off the page a bit more uh and i think just trying to do things a little differently whatever it may be just you know make it stand out do you have an idea of how you will frame a story when you start with one or do you let the narrative emerge gradually um depends depends entirely on the story um some stories you go there with an idea of what you think is going to happen and then it changes. I went to the protest at Balkum of the fracking and it was all going fairly swimmingly, fairly normal stuff, and then it all kicked off and, you know, police flying of punches, all the rest of it. And so then you, you go into kind of commentator mode and you try and describe what's going on around you and bring the, the chaos uh, onto the radio. And then some stories... Um, you have a pretty clear idea of what you're going into and that's the moment where you think, okay, well, how can I... You know, everyone's going to be saying pretty much the same thing. How can I make what I do slightly different or change it or make it stand out or um, that kind of that kind of thinking? Why don't you just make up the news? Drug Philip Schofield. Put him in a bed with a greased-up pig and take a photograph. I will help you. That is, I, that's weird. Stop. I have a news scoop for you. Humans are pathetically primitive in all aspects, and my devastatingly penetrative and entertaining interviewing technique will soon expose this and shatter your collective ego and force you to cede control of all governments to me. 
Ha, ha, ha. You can call it interview bot gate. you die in real life. That's nonsense. We'd have no soldiers left that way. Everyone dies in here eventually. That's how you graduate. Still, sometimes I do wish it was all over. It's been a long tour. I'm sick of looking at those dull-eyed savages and those boring rock monsters and those stupid fields of nightmare-inducing flowers. I mean, what is the point of this training? Do the bosses really think the cataclysm is coming? Will the end of the world really look like this? Nah. I reckon they're just hazing us. But we might be stuck here indefinitely if we don't find a way across this chasm. If we fail a mission, we have to start right from the beginning. What? No checkpoints? Nope. So I think the time's come to ask for direction, sir. No. Don't talk to the NPCs. Don't even make eye contact. Why not? They look harmless enough. Why are they all standing around in the crevices? Why don't they come out? What do you mean? Why would they come out? They're half-naked savages, and we're the lethal manifestation of the forces of order. But we've seen them out in the wasteland, pillaging towns and ransoming people off. They have hierarchies, markets. Some of them ride on the backs of giant lizards. I mean, why are they so reticent when we turn up? Because look at us, James. Look at this gun. It's massive. And now look at that guy. What's he got there? Some sort of meat hook? Hey, you. Yeah, you. What's that you got there? Some sort of meat hook? Um, yes. Ha! A meat hook! Well, I've got a massive gun. Um, okay. Yeah, it is okay. Okay for me? Woo! All right, settle down, Spencer. I'm not sure I like them standing around, sir. In an urban simulation, that would be loitering. I say we take them down. I say we ask for directions. No. What the hell's wrong with you two? Those savages are here just for the atmosphere. We're not going to kill them, and we're not going to get help from them. Not with that attitude. Not with any attitude. Hold on. Maybe that's it. That's what? The bridge across the chasm. The map said there would be one. No, Spencer. That's not a bridge across the chasm. There's a bunch of wooden planks precariously suspended by rotting rope across the chasm. Hey, you. You. What's your name? No. Don't talk to him. It's Og, sir, of the people tribe. We're not important, sir. Please don't kill us. Tell me, Og, is that thing a bridge? Oh, yes, sir. That's our bridge. The finest chasm bridge in the last hundred years, they say. Oh, God. Well, sir, after you... You're listening to The Outpost. Three more pirates are now deceased, one by drowning, two by boulder. Still haven't had a chance to use the trebuchet, unfortunately. Aww. You know, I feel a little guilty about killing all those people. Yeah. Well, this is the wasteland, guys. It's brutal and uncompromising. But it doesn't have to be that way. Yes, it does. Nina, you want to embrace the new world? This is it. The superficial indulgences of the past are long gone. No more arbitrary social norms, no more fads, no more frivolities. 
Now, it's that time of the show when we discuss all things fashion. And joining us, as usual, is fashion expert Jean-André Cleopatra VII. Hi, Jean-André. Greetings, ancient ones. Uh, a bit insulting. Thank you for giving me a platform to continue my important work. Happy to do it, my friend. So, what's hot right now? Well, Molly, fashion continues to be the last great vestige of democracy, as tribes adopt various styles, agree upon those styles as a social body, and accept them as a trend that helps to define the tribe for a period of time. Like water, these trends are always moving, always malleable, in harmony with the ebb and flow of life. What's in vogue this year may seem irrelevant the next, but then we may pluck a trend from history and retrofit it into a new trend. In this way, nothing is truly lost, and humanity continues to redefine itself, always moving, always changing, evolving. Fashion is a mass cultural narrative that we write upon our bodies and share with the world. With that said, hot pants are back this season. Yay! I'm also seeing an emergence of three very distinct styles that seem to be spreading throughout the wasteland, bonding neighboring tribes together. They are the savages, the classicist and the plague. The savages are characterized by their general lack of clothing. So far, so good. Instead, they express themselves by decorating their bodies with piercings and elaborate scarification. They also favor bone jewelry and body paint. Great. Uh, Tell us about these classicists. They sound interesting. The classicists are all about emulating a style that went out of fashion in the 21st century. They assign specific roles based on gender, which they've narrowed down to male and female. The men refuse to wear practical clothing like skirts for fear of being labeled a woman, a gender they apparently despise. There are a lot of great archaic styles to be seen here, such as a tie, a wonderfully pointless item of clothing. However, rather than the tie representing art for art's sake, or a childlike expression of playfulness, it's actually a symbol of self-imposed conformity designed to tie all the males in the tribe together. They sound kind of boring. Yes, I don't see the style sticking around for much longer. The classicists spend a lot of their time trying to compartmentalize groups of people based on status, age, race, gender, sexuality, and so on. I imagine this illusion of structure makes them feel secure, but to an outsider, there's not much of a value here. So, what about the plague? The plague is certainly the fastest spreading trend. At first, nothing seems to tie this group together, but look closer. They have the same strange markings on their faces and bodies. The same pallid complexions and toothy grins. The same hunched, crab-like gait with their long limbs and contorted bodies. Sounds charming. So, Jean-André, what fashion tips do you have for us here in the outpost? What should we be wearing? Leather. Lots of leather. You always say that. It's durable and flexible and provides excellent protection from rabid animals and humans. Fashion won't do you any good if you're dead. All right. Uh, Thanks, Jean-André. Until next time. A bientôt. Coming up now, we've got... Hey, where's Nina? Oh, she laughed, said she was going to grab a bite to eat. I see. And did you both forget about the pirates that are currently invading our outpost? Oh... 
Yeah. Hi, guys. Nina, where are you? Um, I'm just outside. Are you all right? No. Hello, ladies. Hello. Open the door and let us in, or this one dies screaming. <gasps> all right, all right. Thank you. Too kind. We're still going to kill you all, of course. Of course. Um, is it just the two of you left? Yes. We're very impressed with your booby traps, aren't we, Biggs? We are indeed, Wedge. You three have proven yourselves to be worthy foes. Worthy? Well, that's very kind of you. Are you sure you have to kill us? Oh, yes. Most definitely. Damn it. But first... You're going to tell us where your treasure is located. Treasure? Don't play dumb with us. We know you have treasure. Everybody has treasure. We've been pirates for a long time. We know what we're talking about. Tell us where the treasure is, and we won't have to get nasty. You're already pretty nasty. We can get much worse. All right, damn it. You want our treasure? I'll get it for you. It's in the safe. But Molly... Oh, what difference does it make, Nina? We're dead either way. At least if we give them what they want, they might spare us some suffering. That is about as good as it gets these days. Not so fast. Where are you going? The safe is outside. You mean we just spent all that time trying to get into your base, losing eight men in the process, and the treasure was outside the whole time? Yep. God damn it! <sighs> Biggs... You wait here with these two. I'll accompany this one to the safe. Righto. So, what's your name? What do you do for fun around here? Well... This is it. This is the safe. This is our treasure. Stop! You really think I'm going to let you open the safe? What have you got in there? A knife or something? Just tell me the damn code. Fine. It's up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A. (laughs) This is too easy. Wait. This doesn't look like treasure. My face! My god, god, my face! Yeah, it's poisonous gas. I mean, obviously. I'm melting! I'm melting! Well, duh! Ugh, gross. Other one dead. Yeah, Alexis knifed him in the throat. Such a shame. One day I'd like to meet a nice guy, you know? Yeah. And it's also such a shame we never got to use our trebuchet. Oh, we could still use it. 50 points if you can hit a scorpion lizard, 100 if you can hit a scavenger. Yay! Anyway, now it's time for... Molly? What? There's someone else at the door? What? Who's there? Hello? Hello? It is he. He who 
has journeyed across the wasteland, he who has stared that in the face and laughed. Ha! He who has... Enough! Who are you? <laughs> yes, you two sound different over the intercom, my friends. It is I, Callo, the career, and I bring you your precious goods, 4,000 custard creams, as promised. We didn't order any. Thank you, courier. Just leave the biscuits by the door, please. Oh. But, uh, but I need a signature. Ugh. Hey, Cabo. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Pass whatever you want us to sign through this hatch? Uh, yes, of course. Are you done? Yep. Right. Now it's time for my final thought. Now what? You've got your signature, Kellogg. Was there something else? Really? It's just... Well, I came a long way. And, um... Hey, we're not giving you a tip, buddy. No, no, no. Of course not. I... I suppose this is farewell, then, gentle lords. It has been an honour to deliver your precious goods on behalf of Donnie's Deliveries. Jobs, big or small, we do them... Thanks, Carlos. (sighs) Anyway, now it's definitely time for my final thought. They say, if you stare at a mirror for long enough, your reflection becomes distorted. Some features become prominent, while others fade away. After a while, you won't even recognise yourself. You'll see someone else staring back at you, possibly a friend, or a lover, or a stranger. I've never tried it, of course, but I can believe it's true. The world we see is an interpretation, a construction of the brain, and the brain gets bored easily. Sometimes it cuts corners, fills in the blanks, makes stuff up. Our grasp of reality has always been tenuous. Our brains do most of the work, while consciousness takes all the credit. We like to imagine we're separate entities, immortal souls encased in fleshy vessels. But really, our identities are cosy distractions, occupying our minds while we search for food and sex. The mind is its own place, as Satan said, and we can never really see the world as it truly is. We are not even of the here and now. We live in a perpetual memory, always milliseconds into the past, as our brains interpret what our eyes see. And memories are never trustworthy. And while we can't even be sure whether or not we exist at all, we anoint ourselves the chosen ones, the creatures that matter. But the human soul is a reflection on the water. A quirky fantasy, an idealised mirror of ourselves. And it's not real, of course. Humans were never real, not by our standards. Perhaps that's why fiction seems to matter so much. As long as we celebrate storytelling and art, we can continue to champion ourselves as higher beings, so much more worthy of praise than the animals that frolic in the mud. I mean, we must be important, right? Look at all that we've accomplished. We are a way for the cosmos to know itself, are we not? We are... We... Just what are you two doing back there? We're loading the trebuchet with custard creams? (sighs) Of course you are. A hundred points if you hit a scavenger? (laughs) 
Well, okay then, you've twisted my arm. Oh, what about that one down there? Carlo! You're back! And you're alive! I have made the delivery. I have... the signature. Well, it's all worked out then. Mission complete. Game over. I knew that prophecy was nonsense. Then why do I not feel satisfaction? I am a career. This is what I do. But it doesn't feel enough. Oh, Miguel, what have I done? You've done your job. And now you can do whatever you want. There's one good thing about this world, is that as long as you can get some shelter over your head, food in your belly, you can do whatever you want. You talk about adventure? Well, let's find one. Choose your own adventure. You don't have to work for Donnie's delivery anymore. Not if it doesn't make you happy. You can work for yourself. Do what you want. Be who you want to be. We are free men, Callow. We are free. We're free. Miguel? Miguel? My God, man! Are you all right? <laughs> what was that? It was biscuits. A large crane of biscuits falling from the sky. <gasps> it is a sign. No, it isn't. These are the biscuits you just delivered. Those bastards launched them at us with their trebuchet. Oh, shit, is this blood? Am I bleeding? Do not despair! I'm going to save you, my friend! No. No, Callie, you're not. I can't feel my arms. I can't feel my legs. My lungs are filling with custard cream. I think the wandering days are over. This is not right! Those biscuits were meant for me, Miguel. This was meant to be my last delivery. That is what the Eye of the Forest prophesied. All she said was it would be your last delivery. She never said it would end in your death. Pretty shitty of her not to give me a heads up, though. (laughs) Callow, look. If she was right, and you'd do something worthwhile with your life... And your Korean, then perhaps maybe this will all have been worth it. Really? Actually, no. No, 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 no. This really, really hurts. Oh, I sincerely wish I hadn't been crushed to death by a crate of biscuits. I'm sorry, my friend. <laughs> Don't be. Don't be. Don't you dare. We had a laugh. Didn't we? When I joined your quest, I was nothing more than an aimless wanderer. I made a promise to myself that I would embrace life. That I would try to live, Carlo. Really live. That became my mission. And I die. Securing the knowledge that I... I... failed. Miguel! Miguel! was The Outpost, Choose Your Own Adventure, hosted by Molly Small, Alexis McDougall, and Nina Scott. Starring Penelope Day, Susanna Gordon, Pierce Hunt, Robert Benedetti Hall, Layla Pine, Max Stern, Katie Turner, Matthew Woodcock, Joanne Wong, Jonathan Day, James Naylor, David Callow, Ben Keenan, Daniel James, Caroline Spencer, Derek Elwood, and David Knight. 
Today's topic was written by Maximilian John and performed by Robert Benedetti Hall. The short story was The Mouse, the Bird, and the Sausage, a classic Grimm's fairy tale performed by Pippa Caddick. The interviewee was Tom Swarbrick. Tom is an award-winning journalist who is currently the senior reporter at LBC. The music was by Tom Popperwell, Ian Wynn, Sam Sandwich, Jonathan Day, Kia Doherty, and Tom Darling. This episode was edited by Tom Darling and written by David Knight, David Price, and Maximilian John. If you like The Bunker Podcast, please consider supporting its production by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. You can also visit our website, thebunkerpodcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to contact us, you can do so by either emailing thebunkerpodcast at gmail.com or digging a hole in your garden. That's it. Keep digging. You'll find us eventually. really rather beautiful, the wasteland, don't you think? Yes. It's so peaceful and... And... Nina! Come on! What? You know what? Cut the racket! Sorry. We're trying to enjoy the serene beauty of the wasteland and you are spoiling it! Sorry. 